And it's kind of funny we say that too, because it's like, yeah, it's like I like because I grew up in the NES era, obviously. So it's like I know what you're talking about Gabe. You're talking about the cheating and the uh, rewinding and whatnot. But like, and I'll tell you, it's like that's probably the only reason mm-hmm. why I would go back to Castlevania Two is because I'm being granted that option. Because like playing through that in the original as an eight year old kid was balls. Oh, oh it's a slap in the face. Some of the jumping alone is infuriating if you're playing it straight up because <laughs> that, that platform, yes. It, yes, it's ridiculous. Well, not just that, just the cryptic messaging, though, too. It's like if you yes. want to get right down to it as well, you also have to think about the fact it's like you're being told to go kneel somewhere. Where? Where, where, where am I supposed to kneel? Kneel by the <laughs> fern over on the left side of the creek. What does that mean? <laughs> Just exactly. kneel everywhere yeah. in the whole game. Just crowd walk. <laughs> Pay attention to some, th- unless they're lying to you, in which case. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi everybody, this is Geeks Erpio, Leo, again with Gaming Theater Podcast. Today we're going to have a very special episode where we're going to give a brief overview of the game Castlevania Symphony of Night. How it's changed gaming, how its origins are, and what sort of neat things that have happened through it. It's a very revolutionary game, and we may do more of these later as we go along. But first, let me introduce all the people here that are going to help us out. Once again, I am Leo, the Geek Scorpio. I am Tomato Man, also known as Brandon. I am Nibble Snarf, also known as Steven. Uh, and I'm Gabe, the guest for today. Now with that, before we get started, we're going to go over to the Magical Merch Booth. Here we are back again at the Magical Merch Booth. And today, unlike our normal merchandise, we have several several books that are around here. Gabe, it looks like a lot of them you've worked on. Why don't you explain what boss fight books are about? Yes, so I run Boss Fight Books, uh, which has been running since the beginning of 2014, and we publish great books on classic video games. It's a uh, documentary-style series of books on classic games that gets into um, history of how they're made and their legacy, uh, deep-dive criticism, and kind of the personal experience of uh, what it's like to play them and grow up with them and uh, age along with them. And so we work with uh, different authors every time, and uh, each one kind of has its own flavor, but we... um, have got 29 books in the series so far. We began with Earthbound, and most recently we did a making of history of Goldeneye. I was going to say that's actually featured on the homepage of your website right now, too. Yes, exactly. So uh, the uh, paperback version is out, and we're doing a hardcover uh, deluxe version as well that's going to have some um, bonus images and a bonus chapter on uh, how the music Ooh, for the game was made. And uh, then very soon, um, in about a month from now, we're going to launch our next Kickstarter for some uh, yet-to-be-announced books uh, that, are, that are coming up. Ooh, definitely want to take a look into that. Yeah, please. All right. And with that being said, looks like the lines are moving, and we'll get back to the show. So today's game that we're talking about is Castlevania Symphony of Night, and it's a key game to not only the Castlevania series, but also to gaming history in general. This is the first big game that we can definitively call a Metroidvania game. Now, before we get started with how 
Castlevania Symphony of the Night gets started, we kind of have to backtrack to what a Metroidvania game is. A Metroidvania game, for the most part, is usually a combination of two styles of games, uh, Metroid and Castlevania from the old NES. Or at least that's where the name's origins come from. Before then, a lot of those games that were similar to it were just called Symphony of the Night clones, as it was the the one that was originating with that. For the most part, uh, the uh, the couple of key things that are are big with Metroidvanias is they're typically 2D uh, side-scrollers. Uh, there's a very, I think there's only, there's not even a handful of them that are actually like 3D or anything like that. It's that same uh, style. Not always pixelized art like in Symphony of the Night, but that same side-scroller style. Large in-campus, large areas to explore, and requiring a map system similar to like Metroid. But they're all linked together very well, like Metroid or Castlevania. If anyone's played any of the older Castlevania games, they kind of have a and they follow this, which is where the areas link into each other art wise. You start uh, even as far back as the first Castlevania, you start at the at the front gate, which leads you into a castle. And you go inside that castle, which leads you into a tower, which then leads you into a, a barracks and so on and so forth. And in some of them, you actually had a treasury room that you went into as well before you got to the master's room. That's where the name uh, Metroidvania comes from is the combination of these two, which is kind of weird because it's sort of like Castlevania and Met uh, Metroid fit into this their own genre themselves like this. It's interesting because it's a uh, very Western uh, titling for it because they actually do have a genre title for it in the East, in Japan. It's referred to as search action. Yep. Hmm. I like that. So... This is sort of the same style. Until then, Metroid was one side and Castlevania was another, and this moves forward until we get to Rondo of Blood, um, which I want to say is the sixth entry into the Castlevania series. Sounds right. It's if at best I think we're off by one. <laughs> kind of. Uh, I mean, well, if you want to break it down, like if we're talking like actual entries, um, yes and no, because you also got to factor in, even though they're no longer considered canonical, you got to factor in the Game Boy Castlevanias, which came out on the Game Boy well before Rondo Blood dropped, if I remember correctly. So I think uh, you got one through three on the NES, you got four on the Super NES. Then there was a drought on the Super NES until Dracula X came out, but in that time frame is when Rondo Blood had already dropped on the PC. Uh, PC Engine 16, I believe, is what it was on. But I know the yep. Game mm -hmm. Boy titles had dropped uh, in that quote-unquote drought of Castlevania for the Super Nintendo. So it's it's in that it's in that vicinity. But again, if we're going to be technical because we got to be technical for accuracy's sake. Um, we always we don't want to ignore the Castlevanias on the Game Boy, even though they are no longer canonical. Mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. only even Legend that was really truly taken out of that. Yeah, the one where mm -hmm. the one where they removed the. Uh, yeah, Sophia. Sophia Belmont. She is no longer considered a canonical Belmont. Huh. I got a real refresher on the early games during the pandemic when I got the Castlevania collection. Yep. And I made my way through the first four games. So the, which I, or I, I guess, which was the, the first two for the NES and the first two for the Game Boy. Um, all bangers except for the first Game Boy game, which that's a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> totally sucks um it's a really rough game it really stands out but by the second one uh pretty awesome yeah really nice oh man the second one's so good so, so good yeah just really good level designs um but 
you know what uh is what castlevania 2 is famous for and what really stood out to me again is it's really got that metroidvania vibe already and that was really exciting to play through partly because i had never been able to kind of cheat my way through before because it is kind of a hard game at spots um if oh, you're yeah. just playing it straight up but you know you, you got that rewind button baby and i was using it and uh also you know a, a little bit of um uh faq on the side as well for some of the more inscrutable puzzles but if you're doing that if you have, if you're if you're cheating on multiple levels uh i think simon's quest is a great game and it's doing those uh more rudimentary metroidvania things it's open exploration going around to towns talking to people trying to figure out what to do next upgrading yep. um multiple castles so uh i had a blast playing through yeah it's it's definitely one of those games where it's ahead of its time in so many respects, just like Zelda two actually, yeah. which has a lot of parallels to Simon's quest. And uh, it's like some of the characters just outright lie to you in Absolutely. Simon's quest. So it's kind of like a giant middle finger to the player without a guide. <laughs> Such assholes. And it's kind of funny. We say that too. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like, I like, cause I grew up in the NES era, obviously. So it's like, I know you're talking about Gabe, you're talking about the cheating and the uh, rewinding and whatnot. But like, and I'll tell you, it's like, that's probably the only reason mm -hmm. why I would go back to Castlevania two is because I'm being granted that option. Cause like playing through that in the original as an eight year old kid was balls. Oh, oh it's a hardcore. slap in the face. Some of the jumping alone is infuriating if you're playing it straight up because <laughs> that, that, that platform, yes. It, yes, it's ridiculous. Well, and not just that, just the cryptic messaging, though, too. It's like if you yes. want to get right down to it as well, you also have to think about the fact it's like you're being told to go kneel somewhere. Where? Where, where, where am I supposed to kneel? Kneel by the <laughs> fern over on the left side of the creek. What does that mean? <laughs> Just exactly. kneel everywhere yeah. in the whole game. Just crowd walk. <laughs> Pay attention to some, unless they're lying to you, in which case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like, it was, um, for me, that was the first game that I actually well, got accustomed to the idea of using, um, well, actually it was Nintendo Power at the time, because they actually had the Castlevania walkthrough. Um, I still miss, I, I miss that book. It was one of the coolest books I'd ever seen as an eight-year-old cool. kid, just Simon holding the head of Dracula. It's like, I'm sorry. I don't care if it's graphic or not. That was just dope back then for an eight-year-old uh, to see that. I love all those old guides. One of the most iconic like, issue twos of a magazine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to say, because like, we talk about that, though. It's like, that's perfect example of the search adventures that was used for then, though. Because like, Castlevania 2 is... If you want to get right down to it, in comparison to some of the other titles that are out there, which had this idea of what they wanted to be, but they weren't quite that. Because Castlevania 2 was the one that set it all up, where what we have in today's day and age, it was all thanks to Castlevania 2. If Castlevania 2 didn't exist, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have had Symphony of the Night. We wouldn't have had any of the future titles like Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow. It's, it's what well, people crap on Castlevania 2 for being a bad game. Is it truly a bad game? Um, yeah. No. I mean, it is. It still is. But it's not a bad game in the sense of like what people think it is. It's only bad because the control's bad. But the gameplay itself and the uh, <laughs> and the actual story of it was quite good. It was phenomenal for an NES title. And the music. The, the music so good. stands the test of time, period. I was going to say it's probably more so poor execution exactly. than a bad game. Because 
so much of what they did there is radically more successful in every entry that they tried it in next. All the handheld games, DS, GBA, Symphony, obviously, which popularized it and perfected yep. the formula. We wouldn't have Bloodstained without it, for God's sakes, and Bloodstained is a phenomenal well, title. We wouldn't have Bloodstained for other reasons. I mean, we, we got to fact. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, like we got to we got to be off on that one. On we me. only have Bloodstained because people believed in Grandpa Koji, and that's the only reason why. <laughs> so the other uh, Castlevania two trivia was that apparently that was very useful in the pitching of an open world version. Of Symphony of the Night, where they were, uh, there were maybe some detractors at Konami, um, and they were like, "Well, we have done this once before, and people were people liked it; they were open to it, and so like that created a proof of concept for them to go forward uh, with with this new version of it." So that's where this originates from. Symphony of Night, which I find is interesting, is where you bump into most games where they have to deviate from the norm. No, this one goes reaches back in its history to get that. Alucard, Richter, uh, uh, Richter is straight from Rondo of Blood, and this is a direct sequel to Rondo of Blood. And before that... A game that everybody didn't play over here, for that yep. matter. Yeah, we didn't even have that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's not true. We did. It, again, Dracula X, it's a chopped-up version it's, of Rondo of Blood. Gutted, but though. it is Rondo... Right. Yeah, but it is Rondo of Blood. It's just doesn't have the story which was the kind of the critical element that was missing because it's like all we know is that we're this new guy his name is Richter and other than that it's just some crazy Belmont who has insane magical powers with his sub weapons um, but that was about it like we didn't have any other reasons like oh we just know Dracula's back <laughs> I go kick Dracula right in the ass once again <laughs> it's my it's what I do but we didn't know about the fact that it was like his like his the uh, his uh uh sister-in-law maria had been kidnapped by dracula we didn't or no i'm sorry his his yeah his sister-in-law maria had been kidnapped by dracula and his uh his uh, fiance had also been kidnapped by dracula we didn't know any of that because none of that was included in dracula x's story it was all like you had to have the pc 16 to do that and even then that was japanese so unless you were fluent in japanese you weren't going to understand any of that they took the the way it worked out it was pitch symphony of night they were asking how would you do this open world thing and they told them, well we've done it before can castlevania 2 all right um and you're not wanting to use a belmont as a main character and th this is what brought alucard into the game they're like yeah no we'll just use alucard from this game because it's already have these to the this information all right can we do these kind of pixelized graphics and such and then they pitched yeah we did that in rondo of blood yep. so we can do these. We're just wanting to get this going. And Alucard, yeah. Alucard was playable in 3, right? wasn't he? Yes, he was. 3 was interesting because it had a very interesting map system because each stage was directly connected as a map, and depending on which way you went on that is one of those other characters that you could pick up. And Alucard was arguably your middle tier out of all three of them. Mm. Depend and it's arguably because Alucard got the ability to turn into a bat, and did some decent damage, but Grant could move around better, and Sypha could do a lot more damage than magic. Sypha could just do straight-up magic and just destroy everything. Well, let's let's be fair here, too, to Grant. Um, that dude just couldn't just move better. That man climbed on the ceiling. <laughs> you could avoid that, a lot of fights with that. If a good chunk of the level by just, wall, uh, by just healing hugging, it's, uh, that's pretty much OP in its own right. Yeah, no, that man was a spider monkey. Um, yep. So yeah, this is where 
Symphony of Night basically gets its orange. It's a pitch meeting that, uh, which is interesting because their pitch meeting is, we kind of did it already, but we just need to put these things together for the thirty-two X. Thirty-two X. Oh yeah, because it was supposed to come out for the thirty-two X. Um, yeah, it was meant for the thirty-two X, and then Sega tanked at that point. Yeah. Well, the thirty-two X tanked at that point. And that didn't last well, long. No. And you've also got the the added um, risk with this title being that. This is when 3D is being pushed incredibly hard by every developer and every publisher. And at this point, we're a couple years into the PlayStation life, um, and they're pushing a 2D title? That's dangerous. It was such a big deal at the time. It was so much a big deal that there was literally an um, advertisement for the N64 that was a shot to uh, PlayStation that actually said, and okay, our graphics are a lot better. Check this out. And they showed clips of Symphony of Night. This is still in 2D, where we have a 3D model for it. And you got to realize the game came out originally in March of 97. 97 was a big year for, for opening 3D games. We're talking GoldenEye, Final Fantasy VII, Mega Man Legends, and most yep. of the N64's greatest hits come out in that year alone, like Blastcore. So this being a 2D is going completely against the grain. But there was some cloud for it, though, going into this, though, because it's like we, we, we already name-dropped the reason why the cloud's there. It is still Sega. And it wasn't the 32X. It was the Saturn, because it did come out on the Saturn before it came out on the PlayStation. Yeah. The PlayStation actually was the chopped-up yeah. version of the Saturn title. So there was a lot of cloud for it coming out at the time. People had known it, it existed. Anybody who had a Saturn knew it existed. So, but because you couldn't get it in on Saturn in America, you actually would have to have import that. You would have had to have a region, uh, uh, a Japanese Saturn or, uh, or a uh, region-free Saturn to do anything with, which, which back in that day was practically unheard of. Um, you wouldn't have had that. So, like, the diehards knew of it, and it's just slowly because of that, they got that clout, so they were able to help promote. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't diss on this. Trust us. This is actually one of the best castaways out there. And it slowly became, and the cult built and built and built, and everyone started to realize that, yeah, because if you had, if you look at it this way, you had this 2D pixel mass, uh, pixel release of Castlevania, and then you got 3D Castlevania on the N64, which was, yes, you know, terrible. I, I, I think, I think it was kind of what won here was the fact that the bragging did not do Nintendo any favors for that Castlevania. It also, also hurt Konami, too, because that, uh, that was the Castlevania that nearly tanked the entire series, yes. was the N64 Castlevania. But the hype for it beforehand was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like, I've always wanted a 3D Castlevania. And, you know, and 3D Mario was so good. So think how good, you know, being a Belmont going around the castle is going to be. It would have been cool if it had been a Belmont, but it wasn't, if I remember correctly. It was not good. Oh, oh, it wasn't even Belmont. Yeah, I, I've never played it. I... I I read the reviews and I stayed away. Reinhard Schneider. Yep, Reinhard Schneider. It wasn't <laughs> even a Belmont. It was it was there was some German dude uh dealing with with the Dracula and in the era and the time frame and like don't get me wrong, like I understand they've always taken liberties with the monsters in Castlevania. But I feel like what kind of like what kinda of killed me for that one was skeletons riding Harleys. I think that's funny though. <laughs> Could be badass. So I will note actually too that the uh, I, actually the Saturn version came out a year later, and had added Maria Renard as a full playable. Yes, character. it was a port of the PlayStation version. Um, yeah, yeah, but it added additional content. Yeah. Oh, was it the 
Oh, you're right. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. I had my thing in reverse of that. My oh. apologies. No, it's all good. Um, I was just thrown off because I had this article up here talking about uh, the 1998 port, which had some weird graphical issues to it, if I remember right, but it had extra content. It had more meat to the game. Yep. Um, which kind of sucked for us because at that point, the Saturn was, for the lack of a better term, was basically tits up at that point. Uh, it, was, it was on its way out the door at that point, too, because that's right around when Sega, Sega of America lost faith in, uh, um, in the Saturn. And Sega of Japan was kind of in agreement to it, too, which sucks because, honestly, if you look at the Saturn's title lineup, it had some phenomenal titles, including that one. But we're, we're not going to detract from that. So, so. That's where this gets it's interestingly. Um, there's two developers that head this up, which the lead developer, Turu uh, Agihara, and the original de- developer, which has done most of Castlevania and I think moved on to Rondo of Blood, Koji Igarashi. Igarashi? Igarashi. Igarashi. Yeah. And so they worked on this. It's easier to just call him Iga san. <laughs> so Iga san. Just Iga, yeah. So yeah, these two, uh, this is like the one time in, keep in mind, Castlevania Symphony Night will change how. All Castlevanias go going forward after this. Yep. With experience systems, they're no longer going to be uh, st- uh, just stage fights. Um, and the it's kind of funny where the origins of this guys is because um, the first game that he made it and hit big was a Japanese dating simulator game, and it hit really big. And he he got an awful lot of clout, which is kind of weird to say with with Konami that it allowed him the option to not because they wanted him to make a sequel to it, but he didn't want to. And they had a list of games that they were looking into working on because a lot of game development companies will actually have names and things of just a list of games that they are going to work on in the future. They just don't have time to implement it right now. So find a devel- uh, someone who wants to take on this challenge. And he picked Castlevania as one of them. Mm-hmm. And you uh, and so he wanted to do Symphony of the Night, and he redesigned everything for it, um, which is kind of weird to say because you've heard of other people in Konami, which has even higher clout, which can't, and or other game developers, which have higher clout, hmm. and they can't get away from the thing that made them famous. The Kojima, um, what's his name, the guy who did uh, the Mega Man series, couldn't stop making Mega Man, and the one time he stops, no, he ends up having yeah. to do uh, Dead Rising and yeah. makes a second hit and gets locked down. Well, and Inafune kind of has lost all good faith with everyone at this point through concept. <laughs> well, thanks to Mighty Number no. Nine, yeah, Mighty Number no. Nine kind of pretty much just destroyed his career. Oh, don't forget Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z. That also was a headache. Which is really weird because I, I I recently just played through that one because you know I'm a fan of Ninja Gaiden and I wanted to like even though I knew it was a spin off and I knew it wasn't that great, I still played through it and I oddly did not find myself hating it. I didn't find myself loving it, but I also did not find myself hating it. So it's kind of weird. That one just landed like right in the middle. It's so cool to see guys like Igarashi who like find themselves in the in that pocket where they're like, yes, I, I do this and I'm good at it. And I want to do it again and again. And it's exciting every time. And like even when I, you know, I don't know the circumstances of him leaving the company, but like even when he's gone, he's like, uh, I'm going to do a new IP. And, but don't worry, I'm going to do my same stuff again. <laughs> and like everybody's like, yes, please do, because you're so good on it. You're iterating on it every time. And he's just got so much clout in this very specific community of people who love the property and love like this specific style of game. Um, mm-hmm. And you can just play it over and over again, just like he's happy to make it over and over again. 
I think it also helps, too, that he is also humble. Like, that's kind of the big thing. He listened to the fan feedback, because I remember when Bloodstained first launched, because I was, like, Neil, you know, I was a backer for that one, because not anything Castlevania, I Same. am in, 100%. I don't care how bad it is, I am in. And it was one of those ones, like, when I first played through it, it was, like, the graphics were muddy, the colors were terrible. I'm a colorblind person, and even I could tell the colors were bad. And a lot of what worked out for him on this one, this was also what a lot, a lot of worked out for, like, his, his clout and his history and why people love and praise Iga-san is the fact that he listens to his fans. Mm. He, not, he doesn't just listen to them. He also applies what they're saying. So it wasn't just like, yeah, yeah, I'm the developer. Go away. There's so many sad Kickstarter development stories and that this is such a nice one <laughs> of just iterating <Yeah. laughs> and listening, but not listening that everything listening to the good stuff like really figuring out what's working what's not and then by the time i played it honestly it was i mean it was out and it was <laughs> great yeah it, it i can't even begin to imagine the process of literally combing through all of the i'm gonna call it bullshit because that's what it is that a lot yeah. of people are gonna spit at him and finding the actual constructive and helpful comments and then implementing them because I guarantee you that's how the Switch version got fixed. Hmm. There were so many problems explicitly with the Switch version at launch, and they are virtually all rectified at this point. Um, yep. I played it on the PS4. I've actually, it's actually kind of funny. I've got both my uh, Kickstarter posters framed next nice. to me here at my desk. <laughs> Damn. Even the idea of handing over the property to uh, another studio to do the blood was it curse of the moon was the first one and that's and that's doing the castlevania 3 thing and it's so good and it's taking all the right cues so it's like building out a world but um again like working with people trusting them and um developing something really nice over time and that's kind of his uh his mo uh their mo to do this that's actually how castlevania symphony night was done in 2d because his development team that he wanted to work with was the ones that worked on rondo of blood and they were more familiar with making a uh, with doing 2D and pixel art, so he wanted to run with it. It's also one why so a lot of those monsters look so as crisp and as well as good as they are do because his team's more familiar with it. And rather than jumping into the pressure of getting a th uh, making a 3D game, went with uh, sticking with his strengths, which is also I think it's got a short development time, like about just over a year or so. Wow. That's very popular. It sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. There was a lot that got cut that got in at, that got added into the Saturn version because there was ideas and concepts that they had for that that the Saturn version picked up on. Because like Saturn version is kind of like the definitive version of uh, uh, well, I mean it is the definitive version of uh, of uh, Symphony of the Night, so that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, One interesting thing that did get cut, which I thought was interesting, was originally they planned to have an alignment system. And your ending was kind of like with, oh, at Silent Hill, where your ending, uh, Silent Hill 2, where your ending was based upon how you used items in the game. It would, the alignment system was going to be derived from holy weapons, which are all the sub weapons. Mm. So the more often you use sub weapons, the holier you were.
because the only other people who could use sub weapons were the Belmonts. I'm laughing because that would have been so another like very inscrutable system where you just have to know about it to even be able to do it correctly. And already, like based on what made it into the game, there's so many like, you know, it's not just your level ups, but um, each of your what are the helpers called in the game? Um, the familiars. The familiars. Each of the. Each of your familiars can be leveled up. There's like subsystems within certain weapons that are really diverse and go deep into the system of the game. And these are weapons you might never use in an entire playthrough. Uh, or even get. Yeah. I, I tell you right now, I, I did not like the diamond. The diamond was probably one of the worst weapons, in my opinion, in that game. I would have skipped that and had that had a system tied to that, I would have been probably mad about that. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. Because that weapon, because it's like, A, first off, anything that does a ricochet attack like that thing does is already not going to be a good weapon because you have enemies who are above you. Oh, cool. So, yeah, you got to ricochet that thing to try to hit enemies above you. Uh, why would I bother that when I could just smack them with a sword? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Jump and swing. So, there's but swing, no, man. with... Uh, there was subsistence within subsystems. Uh, one weapon I recall is the Muramasa, which is the blooded uh, blade. It is, technically speaking, the highest damaging weapon in the game, but you'd have to use it because it's based upon a percentage of how many kills that you've got, so you'd have to kill with that thing. Yep, I love that. I think I did the math right. It's something like you would have been able to beat the game four times over by the time you make this thing powerful enough to 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 count as the most powerful weapon. And honestly, game. at that point, you probably would have found the Crusagrum and already just went on with it from there. Forget it and just be done. Or the Combat Knife. Yeah, or the Combat Knife, the Disc 1 Nuke. Combat Knife, for those who don't know, it has no is the only weapon in the game with no animation slowdown. So it'll hit as as fast as you can hit that button. Yep. It is one of the lowest lower damaging weapons, but you make up for it by being able to spam it. But your thumb hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, it can also stun too. That's the other thing about it as well. Every time it connected, it actually would it would actually cause animation stoppage on the enemy. So uh, that was the other thing as well. So you could just keep hitting them, and they could not really do anything. It doesn't work on bosses, but I mean, you know, bosses themselves are bosses. I always factor it's like a boss is going to be a boss. But like on the lower level guys, the fact that you can literally just raffle stop them with this rinky dinky knife for the most part, you know, just yeah, it's a disc one nuke, hundred percent disc one nuke. And most of the stuff you're just left to figure out. <laughs> you can just battle of yep. attrition everything. Battle of attrition everything with the sword. The sword familiar to you. <laughs> I'll just hide yeah, in the corner. The sword no, will swing. I mean, that's, if you good. want to level up your sword, that's how you do it. You just hide in the corner and let the sword do the work. And that's basically it. Get stronger and stronger. Oh, I always think of needing the demon familiar to be able to hit certain switches. And mm -hmm. like... How would you ever know? <laughs> but <laughs> I but I think like the difference between like this and like Castlevania 2 is like all of the things that you don't know aren't really a problem or almost, you know, I mean, maybe like having to know which items are going to like get you to the upside down castle and that kind of thing. But beyond like very particular, like certain things that might even be figure outable, it's like. <laughs> like you're not you're not not having fun because of them anymore and in yeah. fact it feels like if you do discover it like the um uh the the knife hack it's like oh like i know something that other people don't know and i just figured out on my and that's like <laughs> one of the great feelings in video games is if you figure out a hack that works for you the sense of discovery oh yeah well, it's the encouragement of the exploration, though, too. Like, that's the biggest thing about it that kind of really sells it for Symphony of the Night. Now, in, like, 
Because it's like, you know, it's like you're talking about that. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of items you can find that you don't necessarily need to know about. And there's a lot of things you don't need to know about, like like what we were talking about before the start of the podcast, Leo. As you found out, you only need four items to actually beat the game. You won't get the true ending, but you still beat the game. You only need four items out of how many are in that game. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those, like, yeah, the exploration is encouraged heavily. And that was one of the things that kind of, like, it was, it worked for... Castlevania 2, but it was more of a hassle. But again, you also mm-hmm. have to talk about it's an NES title, and again, we're gonna fault, we're not gonna fault it for the fact that it's like the era that it was created in. But it was just like you also have to uh, take into account the translation errors that happened. You know, the loss of translation, the, the, the fact that you were getting straight out lied to, you would never have known you were being lied to until you went and tried to do it, and that's like a lot of time lost. And then. What are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. The guy lied to you. You go back and talk to him. Oh, look, he lied to you again. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, that, you're right about the exploration. It's so satisfying, and the different areas are so great. The The, the library really stands out. The Coliseum, the uh, the, the bell tower, like, they, they're so different from each other. They're so uh, – the backgrounds are so well lit and so interesting. Mm. They They do such a good job of – reusing assets and that's something that like a lot of gamers hate to hear about because there's this really weird idea that like every game should start from scratch on on every single property whereas like this i believe it was rondo of blood like they created all of these really great enemy animations and they just brought them wholesale into symphony of night and repurposed mm-hmm. them and they did a lot of new ones as well but like having all of these already really well animated uh, characters in the game it's like well that's some of the work and you can populate a whole castle with them and that's how you have such a, like a big diverse game and if you want to know yep. what's biggest influence is when someone decided hey you know what if we made this a uh, second half to this game and just did it with the same castle same layout just did it all upside down amazing such a good pitch well and it changes the dynamic of the game radically yep. <laughs> Everything you know is upside down and in reverse. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that uh, line from the Car- <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean? What's up is down. <laughs> so they did that because one of the things they wanted to develop in this game, um, and this has to go back with rentals, is they wanted a game that would take a that would take a while to beat without feeling like you're just in a slog to do it. And so by doing an upside down castle. And when they get to that point, they added new enemies just to the castle, but they didn't have to add a new level. And so it saved them so much time and effort to do that. They could just pour more and more and more in. Yeah. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. really smart repurposing. Yep. Uh, can I tell my my uh, my uh, or- origin story with this game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So the, the year is 1997. And uh, so I am renting this game for the weekend. And I get through the entire main game and i'm having a blast and it's you know it's moving really quickly I, it's probably i don't know six hour playthrough maybe a little more and um and, and and i get to the end and you know just before it's time for me to take back the game i beat it and i'm so satisfied i was like wow what a great game like i <laughs> and what a great rental of a game i was so like pleased with myself because i was like i you know it, it was right of me not to buy it um because it's kind of short you know and, I, and it was it wasn't too hard and and good for me and I sent it back, and for years, I just had this good impression of a nice short game. It was only on the internet years later that I learned 
how much more game there was. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, actually, I, I need to play this again. Yeah. Oh. It, I, I had the same thing, too, because I got to the end, uh, first time playing it, I think it would be 98, 99. Uh, first time playing it, going through it, I beat it within just a day or so. Like, And I get to the end, and I'm like, all right. Huh. Wow, that that fight with Richter at the end is it was pretty tough, but this is just a weird feeling of an ending. Just a yeah. weird feeling. <laughs> well, I, I I distinctly remember that because it, I I told you too, like because like '98. This was also when our friendship started really budding as well because we started to, like we started to get uh, started to get to know each other in high school, and I remember that distinctly because you even said that as well. Where you're talking about like that, it's like oh yeah, I beat the game. I'm like oh you did. He goes yeah, like it was a weird ending though. I'm like wait. Weird ending? What ending did you get? He goes, wait, ending? Which, what do you mean, which ending? And I always kind of laughed about that. the one I just, beat the guy, killed him today. Yeah, it's like, I, I beat Richter. Good. I was like, you beat Richter. Oh, you didn't beat Shaft. You're like, who? I'm like, <laughs> the dude floating above Richter. The greatest thing is that they call, is that his t- name is Shaft. And Shaft's the name of the wizard in this game. At this time, I forgot that when they give you the intro. And so all I'm thinking about is Richard Roundtree from the 1970s movie Shaft. Or the show. Of course. Yep. Shaft. I, I, I think I would remember if I saw Shaft in this. But you're right about that ending. There's like a hesitancy where I think Alucard even says something like, well, I guess <laughs> he's like, I, I guess he was um, driven to madness in a way that is like my father. <laughs> and you know, he's just like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, the it's one of those ones where the translation again, because again, this is around the era too, where like a lot of the translation from Japanese games coming to mm. coming to America wasn't quite as strong as it is in this day and age. Um, sure. So it's like you know, it's like they have to fill in the gaps, they have to figure out all the uh, all, all the uh, um, enunciations. The like, and forgive me, I'm not very good at like stating some of the words and thinking here. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it's like that's that's kind of what it was. So it's like there's a lot of loss in translation that happens when they do these type of games. So coming to America, it's like you get this ending, and it's just like, yeah, it gives you enough of a feeling to make it feel like, that does seem weird. Why would I just kill Richter? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yet the voice acting throughout the game is so unhinged that it's difficult to tell what's intention yep. and what is not. Because they... Uh, it's it's so like everybody every line mm-hmm. is a ten, but for different reasons. Um, and it's so entertaining <laughs> the way everyone is reacting to each other throughout the entire game. So by the time it gets to that, it's like, well, it's been a weird ride. So yep. maybe that's I guess it. I guess here's here's where we are. <laughs> Fear and loathing in Wallachia. <laughs> Speaking of which, like, there's a thing with this which I always respect Castlevania for doing, which is to understand its own history. Every Castlevania game is chronologically listed yep. somewhere. So when this game says it's been five years from uh, from Rondo, the events of Rondo Blood, it no, it literally means this has been five years from that. They have it timestamps. So yeah, Maria grew up. So they had all these things going on on through there, and so that's one of the clues that there was something going wrong in the storyline because Castlevania only shows up every hundred years. So when you do it something out of order, doesn't mm. make sense to them. So they're not expecting to have to deal with this problem until uh, uh, kick it down the notch a hundred years down the down the road. Essentially, two generations down the line, which technically is what happens when you think about it. Because after Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night, the next mm-hmm. game that falls in the line of that chronological order is Bloodlines. 
which uh, I'm going to do a quick plug here, is is going to be uh, in the upcoming Nibble Snark reviews will be one of the games that we will be looking at uh, at some point. Just, you know, kind of quick plug on that one there. But uh, um, with that being said, though, yeah, because that is where the next, where it kind of gets interesting because it's like what you just said is very true. Castlevania only appears, and yes, it is called Castlevania. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't care to understand it. I love it. Just keep going with it. But the castle, castle uh, Dracula's castle keeps showing up every 100 years down the line. And at that point in time, it's obviously it's got to skip a generation or two to move on to the next uh, Belmont because you had, essentially, you had Trevor, and then Trevor and Simon, and this is where, like, it's a little funky there at that point because technically it happens again with Simon, but that's because Simon's dealing with the curse of the Belmont. And then it skips a generation, and then you have Richter, and then it ends up skipping, like, I think, like, four generations, and you get John Morris and Eric Licarde for Bloodlines, and you don't see a Belmont again until Julius, which is not until Arya of Sorrow slash Dawn of Sorrow. So it's like, it skips a lot of generations for the Belmonts to come back at that point. But mm-hmm. that just goes to tell you, though, it's like, just because it skips the Belmont generation, Dracula's ass keeps coming back. He ain't done. Some people are crazy and think he's a good thing. <laughs> like, I love it because, and this is to deal with the storyline. I love the storyline because when it starts off at the end of Rondo of Blood, um, Dracula is there, and he's literally just more annoyed that he's come back again. He's yep. because he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Before you go crazy, not my fault this time. Someone summoned me to come back. Yep, he even states that too. He even says, "Like I didn't come back by my own volition. It was man that brought me back. It was the will of humans. Yeah, oh, humans. Yes, who wish to pay me tribute. I I love that speech. He's so annoyed, and I hate that they uh, re-edited it when they re-released. Uh, Castlevania. I know. Yeah. Because I love the what is a man speech. Miserable little pile of secret. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here for subtlety. No, enough talk. How about you? Uh, and, and it's like, it, it kills it. It kills it for me because it's like the, the, the new voice actors and actresses that they brought in for the redubbing of the game absolutely killed their parts. I mean, they're all really good, well-known voice actors and voice actresses. One of them being David Vincent, who was Richter. Um, and he's done a lot of anime, so it's like if you're a person who's watched anime, you'll know who David Vincent is. He also has had his hands in this. But it's like, yeah, it's the problem is that, so that's, again, they, they, they wanted to change the dialogue so it makes more sense, because, again, the translation was, it was rough. Right. Let's be honest. It was very rough back then. So is it more true to the original translation? Yes, but in our hearts, it's just not as good. There's other games that do stuff like that. Chrono Trigger had that problem when they got re-released because um, mm. they made Frog make sense instead of being the only guy who speaks in thespian English. Yeah, Frog came out of Dragon Quest. Exactly. Yeah. But we loved him for it. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't there to overthink. I mean, I, I think like that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love to see games just embrace the nuttiness of mm. their origins. And I think Castlevania is a great example of that because truly the the first game was not the beginning of some epic chronicle it was a goofy monster mash and it so happened that they chose dracula as the final boss but it could have just as easily been the wolfman and then it would be a different so like yeah and and i love the lore that they built out of it but like let's let the (laughs) beginnings be stupid and just own it 
that's part of it too. And then they go and do, and then they go and do an origin story for it, which was just like, ah, why, guys, why? Apparently, um, some of the idea for uh, making Dracula a more complex character came from Bram Stoker's Dracula, the the movie. Um, yep. You know, which which had not been uh, out for for very long uh, by the time they were starting working on Symphony of the Night, and so that's where you get um, some of uh, you know Dracula's uh, obsession with his dead wife, and you have the um, the the memory section uh, where uh, it, or like the the nightmare in which um, she uh, tries to kind of. And she's burning yeah, up and she like implants yeah. a memory of like saying basically the opposite of what she said, and you know, tries to turn you against all humans. Um, yeah, because that's actually you find out that's actually the succubus portraying herself mm-hmm. as as uh, Lisa. Yes, it was a, cinematically that was a very. Cool, it was really cool. It was a great fight. It was it was the twist on that was mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. I loved it, and the way that Dracula brings it back at the end, where he asks for her final words, and you learn that it was be kind with with humans because they've they've got a hard life anyway (laughs) (laughs) they've got a hard uh, life anyway he uh and he apologizes as he's dying well i think part of the desire to make him more of a deep character also comes from not just the fact that that movie came around but also that they officially tied the brom stoker novel into the lore through the bloodlines game because John Morris is yep. John Morris. John Morris. <laughs> yep, John Morris is from Bram is from Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's and like and the funny part about the whole thing too, it's like when you get down into like if you actually read the book uh, for Bram Stoker's Dracula, and you look at John Morris, the dude pretty much just disappears a third of the way through the <laughs> book, and that's the end of him. He's got stuff to do. Like so, but they they're like yeah, let's make put him in Bloodlines. That, that's what happened. He just went through Bloodlines. There you go. <laughs> he is survived by his son in 1945. It's such a treat for all of us whenever old books enter the public domain mm-hmm. because stuff like this can happen. You can just take these characters and put them into these works and it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's uh it's it's part of the larger Dracula story now. It's all connected. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. And I will. Thank you. It's like we always tell people when it happens like, yep, it's out there. We're just going to have to live with it now. Um, I love also the presence of death in this game, and I, I love that uh, very confident mood of, of giving you all these wonderful weapons just long enough for you to get used to them for uh, for a couple minutes and then take them all away. That's so cool <laughs> and confident. That is so Metroid, by the way. I had all these cool weapons from the beginning. It's all gone now. That, that's where the Metroidvania comes yes. from. Yes. Here, play with these toys, and now they're mine. Yep. What's kind of funny about that, though, too, is, like, if you think about it, though, it's, like, it's not the first time we've seen this in the history of video games, though, either, especially in, con- uh, you know, in, like, continuity senses. Mega Man is also another one where it does that as well. It's, like, if you think about it, and for Mega Man 1 all the way up to the current Mega Man, that has come out every game what is it that mega man yeah what is it mega man never shows up with in the next game even though they acknowledge that he has (laughs) defeated wily numerous times in the previous games he never shows up with these weapons again and it's just that would be so mm. dope that they should definitely do a a mega man cold open in which he just has all these powers from the other games and like rush is all tripped (laughs) out and he just wastes for a little while and then he trips and they all fall into the river i'm gonna say just have He just vomits them up right into the river, and he's like, oh, man. 
You you just see an electric sizzle. It's like, oh, they're busted. Even my shurikens? Aw, they weren't even electric. See, it's funny to me. It's like I would still take that way more than I would Metroid Other M's reasoning as to why you lost all your weapons in the beginning. So it's like, you know what? I'd rather have that trip ball going to river. There they go. Crap. It's something cathartic when your game has an in-game reason for why I lost all these powers. Yeah. Like, Assassin's Creed has it with uh, a lot of the times when it's, especially in the Ezio trilogy, like, he just gets injured and he has to rebuild half the stuff and he needs to find a guy to do it. Yep. Da Vinci builds all his shit. The end. But he keeps breaking it and then he keeps having to go back to Da Vinci to fix it. And that's the thing. It's like, Ezio is just not good with Da Vinci toys. Um, I think it's the... Arkham Asylum series does not do that. You start with all the semi-gear that you, and you're just upgrading on top of that. But that makes sense though, because you're you're dealing with Batman, and Batman is Batman. Like, Batman is not going to be so foolish to leave it behind a Batarang conveniently. You know what I mean? Like that that mm-hmm. makes sense. But but that's also like that's also good. That's also good game design though too, because it gives you all the toys right away. But instead of them ma- instead of making them weak sauce, they're all fairly strong. It's just that mm-hmm. now you got more reason to make them stronger, and that's what we like about that. But yeah, having Death just steal your weapons though, that was a dick move. Like straight up, Death was a dick. <laughs> it is. That's my favorite kind of dick move. It's yeah, start over from the beginning. <laughs> You get nothing. Oh, that that spelling's coming up. Looks like I'm punching my way across this one. <laughs> <Yes>. yep. uh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and power to the players who just keep punching. <laughs> there is there is an actual weapon, brass knuckles, that you can yes. get to just mm-hmm. punch punch people. Or you can just have nothing equipped, and you'll just keep swinging your left hook, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest here. I honestly think with that though, like they really should have just made his unarmed combat super strong because you know, vampire. They're already super strong to begin with, so it would have made sense. Even if he's half human, vampire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? He he could get some bites in for sure. Can we play can we praise uh uh, uh Michiru Yamane's score? Oh my god, yes. Yes, we oh, can. Oh yes. She's so good. So apparently she started on Castlevania Bloodlines for the series, but before that she did um some other game she did Rocket Knight Adventure and Sparkster, uh, which were uh oh. Also, really good songs, and then she just stayed on for Castlevania and did a bunch more, and and then oh, yeah. also did uh, the Bloodstained games. So um, she's amazing. Yeah, the, honestly, everything that she's ever touched has just been a banger. It's uh, absolutely her and um, the Yoko gal that has done a lot of Capcom titles as well as Square Enix titles. Yeah, did Parasite Eve and the Kingdom Hearts games. One well, Live Alive, as well as, believe it or not, Street Fighter 2. She did all the songs for Street Fighter 2. Um, oh. But, but, I mean, like, if you want to get right down to it, though, it's like, that goes to tell you, man. It's like, it, it's amazing just the bodies and the minds that go into what, what's out there. It's like, when you look in, it's like, wow, who composed this? Oh, my God. It's like, I'm no wonder I love it so much. Because, yeah, Sparkster, like, the, the Sparkster games were amazing. The Rocket Knight game was Hands down, probably one of my favorite Sega, uh, Sega Genesis titles out there. I same, same, same. Title. Hard agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, Such when a they good released that on the Xbox 360 as well as the PlayStation 3 at the time, I was like, yep, I'll buy it. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I played it before and I'll play it again. I don't care. Yep. Speaking of which, one thing I do, like, you know that's a banger of a music, uh, music composition when you have songs that don't exactly fit throughout the game. Like, the Coliseum has this weird jazzy tune to it. Yep. Still yeah. amazing. Yeah, very I listen to diverse it. soundtrack. 
Like it feels like you're going to different parts of the world as you explore mm-hmm. different parts of the castle. One of my like, and that's actually a good one that you point out there too. So it's like one of my favorite songs, and uh, you know, kind of we're gonna go, get back into Bloodlines because I believe it does actually make an appearance into Symphony of the Night. But in Stage Four Bloodlines, German uh, Germany, you get the song known as the uh, the Tower of Dolls, and it's mm-hmm. got like this orchestra like an organ opening and it starts off like that and then it slowly breaks into like a techno beat afterwards but they keep that like that organ mixed in it's just it's like you wouldn't think it would work but it does and that's what makes it so good that's my tangent. well and the the genre mixing too plays really well into the uh, multitude of variety you experience throughout the castle too like i'm gonna call them biomes but it's like you've got the Colosseum, you've got uh yeah the, to be yeah. very hollow night yep. about it. Or mm-hmm. call them biomes. Minecraft. Or Terraria. Or Terraria, <laughs> yes. Sure. Yep. Sure. It's like a themed hotel. Um but <laughs> it really is. But I do like to yeah, I, I do like to bring up Hollow Knight in these conversations because like ultimate I th- I think that might be the best one at this point. Like it took all the best uh Metroidvania stuff from from this game and many others and just uh and including that very important thing of just having the different biomes, the every area be so distinct from the other yep. ones and just make you feel like you're exploring such a full, rich space. There's one I'd also recommend too on top of Hollow Knight as well would be Ender Lilies. If you've never checked that out, I do recommend that. That's got a solid, oh, okay. yeah, it's got a solid Castlevania vibe. Um, it, that's probably of the two, like Hollow Knight and Ender Lilies, like my two favorite like Metroidvanias uh, that exist. But uh, yeah. And I think Ender Lilies is, at least at the time of this recording, part of a limited run for uh, yep. getting a physical release. So, mm-hmm. yep, I've already got I've already got my oh. copy of that too. I uh, I I did the first batch when they uh, did that uh, beginning of last year. Okay, yeah, I'm I totally missed that one. I, I miss so much in the setting. <laughs> I, yeah. I strongly recommend I, it. I, even in a like sub genre that <laughs> that I, I try to stay on top of because it's it's just not a hard ask for me to like try out a new Metroid van. I might not finish all of them, but like you know, it's just so fun to watch the world open up and 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 the power fantasy <laughs> part of it as well. Yeah, you got stronger, to stronger, stronger. But another one too, I'm going to recommend for you as well, Gabe. And I'm sure Brandon, you played this, Leo. I know you've seen it. I don't think you played it though, but Chante. Shantae. Oh, I love Shantae. Oh. Shantae, I know about yeah. that one. Yeah, that is an amazing yeah, game. that right there, hands awesome. down, like, you want to talk Metroidvania, the best one out of them all for the Metroidvania field is the Pirate's Curse. Like, yeah, okay. That, yes, is, that game is stellar. Yeah, it's that out of all five, okay. out of all five titles that have come out, that one is the one that has the strongest Metroidvania vibes. Um, so that's the I, one I, I have to agree. Uh... Yeah. So that's okay. what I would definitely recommend right there. I'll take that rec. Yeah, it's on a lot of platforms too. 3DS, Switch, PS4. They've put that on everything at this point. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was, I mean, I've done a full playthrough of the original and it has a lot of um, really amazing like nods in the way that they have their design built. Um, I've got full ups play on actually my YouTube channel of it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the... Pirate's Curse like perfected how they wanted to do yep. a Shantae title, and it's very, very Castlevania esque in a lot of respects. the The gathering of equipment, the way it plays out, the the variety of uses for the equipment, even reminds me of the Symphony of the Night um, 
spike breaker armor. It's reminiscent mm. of that in that it's not just a piece of equipment you use to aid you on your journey, but it also is an exploration piece. And a lot of the stuff do that. That's so, I love when that happens. That's something that um, I've, I've heard Derek, you from Spelunky talk about is like, he loves an item that does two things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whatever, you know, like if, if the rope that you, uh, you know, send up to, to get higher in, in the stage is also kind of a weapon. He's like never happy. And I'm like, that's such a good point. Cause it feels so satisfying to have like yeah. the weapon yeah. slash item. Yeah, there's a, a cannon. That's a bonus jump in um, pirates curse. Um, and it's, it's a weapon, but it's used for traversal and it's used to get you around to make extra jumps that you would think are impossible on top of everything else. And, and it's kind of funny about this too. It's like, we talk about Shantae. It's like in the Castlevania, it's like in the Metrovania that it's applied. The reason why I also kind of wanted to bring that into is because you also named another title earlier down the line, which was bloodstained, uh, curse of the moon, the, uh, the eight bit version of that. Yeah. That was done by the same team that did Shantae. That was NT creates. Oh, which is nice. why you probably have a lot of familiarity. Why it felt like a solid Castlevania clone because it was done by a team that knows how to do it. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, specifically they they did assist with it on uh, the um, Pirates Curse. Yes, yep. I was think I was thinking the original, which was yeah, that was the way more. No, 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 no. Yeah, Inti uh, Creates did uh, did Pirates Curse, and they did I think Half Genie Hero, or the one after that. Nice. Uh, they they did co-develop it, yes, because uh, I was on that Kickstarter too. <laughs> Same. So I mean, so I'm just like, like I said, it's like, but that's also another reason why too. It's like Indie creates is one like that as well. Just... So with that, um, one thing I do respect uh, the the Symphony of Night and other games do this, the uh, do this as well, which is the implementing of how they do bosses. They make it feel like it's a big fight. Like your first boss is actually two guys who are going to show up later as just regular enemies. Yep. Yeah. Um, but they give you this big space and they just make it feel like an arena. Personally, my favorite boss, and is one of the reasons why I love the Aria of Sorrow and the series going forward from there, is we had it called Grand Affluent, but I love the fight with Legion. Yep. It's the same creature. Thank you. I was gonna say Legion is one of the most interestingly impressive on the hardware. Because as you knock the like the bodies off of Legion, they're still down there, and you have to kill those. Or well, you don't have to, but you can. The number of bodies by that is unbelievable. Oh, it's crazy good. And then Beelzebub. Oh, another the really fly. Good. Yeah, but the the biggest bad of them all though that was for Symphony of the Night when we talk about that, which kind of sad to me that we didn't get to see him going forward at any of the Castlevanias, was Galamoth. The giant, uh, the giant Egyptian-like monster. That, yes. That like the best weapon. Was that the very hard yes. one? That was him? like a golem-esque creature. <laughs> right? Yeah, because that was like I remember him. He was the reason why I bought the game. Because like I did the rent too. I was like when I bought the game though, because I couldn't, I didn't want to like rent and give it back. Because like I wanted to beat that guy. So I was like, screw it, I'm gonna go buy the game. Like I want this guy dead. I gotta put in the time. Yeah. Uh, Galifon is by far the most difficult boss in the entire game. Completely optional. You don't even have to bother with him. Legion's one of my favorites just because there's so many things going on at once in that fight. And like even if you're powerful, so Castlevania is interesting because one of the mechanical things that they do is a type of uh, anti grind. Yep. So there's a certain point where if your defense is high enough, your minimally will take one damage regardless. But when Legion's throwing a thousand bodies at you, 
<laughs> you just accidentally trip and fall and you'll get eaten alive down there. Yeah, it's like one times a thousand is still a thousand. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> There's uh, Orlof's ca- uh, Orlof when you have to actually deal with him. Um, Orlox, which is just a playoff of Orlof. And I yeah, think yeah. this is like the only game that actually has uh, Celia from Greek mythology as one of your bosses. Yep, because she's hiding out in the sewer system. Yeah, but yeah, the way they do bosses and Celia is a three-part fight because first you have to fight the tentacles and then you fight hmm. Celia. Yep, you gotta fight. You gotta fight the tentacles, then you gotta fight the wolves, then you gotta fight her with the tentacles and the wolves. Well, that that game trope, Leo, that you're talking about of the the boss early on becomes a regular mm-hmm. uh, battle later. Oh yeah, I love. I'm a sucker for it every time, and that and that became such a Dark Souls thing too. It's like you you always see that. Like, oh god, yeah. Like the first, uh, the first major boss fight on that uh, area in Dark Souls during the sunset, and then you go down later, and you're like underground, and there's like six of them. And you're like, oh no, I have made a mistake here. <laughs> but then they're cakewalk because you know you have that sense of personal growth, yes. and and it aids the power fantasy. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look who's a badass. Um. Apparently, it is possible to. Who's got two thumbs and he's a badass? <laughs> this guy. Uh, but yeah, Symphony Knight, and this was integral to their design, was supposed to be designed, uh, like, none of the bosses came out of development without being proven that you could beat it without taking damage. Yep. Nice. Oh, interesting. So every boss was tested to make sure, to, uh, with their test department, that they could, t- uh, it could be beaten without taking damage. The idea behind it is that this is similar to what we would know as the Dark Souls series later, um, as Yep. You can beat the whole game without taking damage is one of the ideas that they core ideas they wanted. They wanted to focus on skill and your experience points and leveling up is not a necessity to beat mm. the game. Yeah, I love that design principle. And that's I I love that principle and it's hard to see people implement it. And I understand why, but at least successfully. When it's, it, <laughs> it's successful. Yeah, it makes me think of Mario Maker, too. You got to oh, you got to be able God. to beat your level. And then later they made it so you have to do it without checkpoints. It's like, man, that's brutal. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mario. I didn't realize that. Yeah, dang. You can't use checkpoints. Boom. Do it. But yeah, so uh, that is like the best way to design, uh, at least for for these type of games, and is to make it in a way where your skill is rewarded as well as your, if you can't beat them with skill, you can just level up to get, to get around it. But not in necessity. And it's a matter such, of challenge, not difficulty. Yeah, and 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 yeah. for that reason, partly, it's such a speed runnable game, and and so fun to watch. Uh, people mm-hmm. pl- play it at the top level. Oh yeah, when you get to the and that's one of the things that like I love the artwork of a lot of those bosses. Even the final boss, Dracula himself. Dracula shows up, and if you look at it, it looks like this gigantic demon chair thing, and he's just sitting in the he's middle, just chilling. chilling. Um, because he's supposed to be way in the back. Okay, I'll guess I'll deal with the problem later. <laughs> Let's take a moment here to um acknowledge the fact that we got the short end of the stick when it came to the cover art on that game. Um, it we got a 3D render of a castle on our cover, but anywhere else you go, you get the amazing painting of Kojima, Ayame Kojima, Ayame Kojima's artwork of uh, the Symphony of the Night. Of it's Alucard and I think because it's supposed to look like a movie poster. You've got Alucard, Maria, Richter, and um, you do have 
Um, uh, okay, I'm looking. Yeah, you got to look it up, dude. It's like, oh, this is you, dope. Oh my god, right? Dracula looks so it's good. amazing. And uh, I love that Iga when he <laughs> when he left Konami, he looked at um, Yoko and he looked at Ayame and said, "You two come with me." Uh, and, that's, yeah. and that's how we got bloodstained. <laughs> I mean, one of the posters you can kind of see actually on my camera here, that's the, in the corner, that's the Ayame Kojima art for Bloodstained right there. And then I've got the Dracula X. Oh, nice. You can kind of see it. Dracula X Chronicles poster from Konami right there. But I mean, that artwork is just, I would buy the game just to have that artwork in my life, even if I couldn't play it. It's just so beautiful. Like we talk about that too. It's like, keep an eye out as well at the conventions you go to, Brandon, because I know you go to some of them. Um, they, some of them will actually sell the actual artworks of, of, uh, um, the artwork books. I've got one of that too. So it's like everything that's from Castlevania to their, to her own personal works. It's actually really good stuff. Yeah. I've got a, um, Yoshitaka Amano, uh, the sky final fantasy collection. And I think I've got, I've also got the beyond the fantasy art book set, which is his works chronicling things like Vampire Hunter D and his other personal works. And it's just, that man's got some like fascinating works, but I, I'm so glad though they uh, designed sprites first because otherwise everyone would be white and blonde. Uh, uh, <laughs> not wrong. Yeah, that's true. That's... So I wonder if she did uh, the entirety of the art. So some, sometimes they have one artist to do an art rendition of every character. You, you don't hear that as often because it's, especially in like games like Symphony of Night where there's, what like almost like hundreds of characters on there but like in rare cases you do um yeah well no, yeah. Not, like, right. not just character artists but creature artists mm -hmm. then you have background artists stuff like that i mean they do end up compartmentalizing yes. in yeah. some respects because let's face it there's a I know, lot of stuff um, in that game for card trigger akira toriyama did all the character artwork for that one and that's yeah. sort of a rare yeah. case you usually have one for artist for for the characters, the primary characters, then one artist to do the monsters that yep. are tied to it. And so I don't know if, they, if she did all of them. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And such amazing, expressive pixel art. Same thing with Dragon Quest. Um, it looks like there is a second artist credited on the wiki. Um, in addition to Kojima, you've got uh, Nobuya uh, Nakazato. Um, and, I, and I wonder, yeah, too, too if um, then you also have the artists from... Mm -hmm. uh, Rondo of Blood, right? That um, yeah, that, that may have done some of the work that made it into this game, right? right. Well, yeah, because they had um, in the in the original release on the Turbo Graphics sixteen, they had animated uh, anime style cutscenes that were dubbed, and that was a totally different artist. I guarantee it because that looks nothing like the Richter on anything else, like out there. Period. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, there, that's just another example of more artists Absolutely. and i'm not against that i'll take more art i would like the more of the art <laughs> i've got a monolith of art books next to me um i'm reminded that uh uh as part of the um the very serious castlevania um collection was kid dracula oh yeah um the most important <laughs> entry in the entire series there would be no franchise without kid dracula and so, yeah and and so Again, just to just to hit on the point that 
the goofiness and the beauty just have to be there together to get the full Castlevania experience. Like the the incredible character art needs to be there beside the most ridiculous line readings you've ever and the like kill bill or or maybe uh let's say mortal combat esque um bloodbath <laughs> moments that are just like fountains of blood and the most incredible screams <laughs> i've uh ever heard enemies give off when they die. <laughs> yeah they they i'm sorry but wilhelm take a back seat bud yep howie get out of here <laughs> uh! i love the the giant skull yeah. that's that you can kill in that game, and it just screams like bloody murder. No other skeleton <laughs> does this this death wail like this guy. It's not consistent. I kind of love it that it's is. not consistent. No, each no, we don't want it to happen all the time. But every every, every time, time it happens, happens just funny. a giggle. Okay, you're gonna scream like a little uh, like a little punk here. The, the other sixteen skeletons I've destroyed. Nah, they're taking it like a champ. Grandma champ. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh, what was it? So, like, yeah, they did so much oh, into this game. And it's weird to think about it as this is sort of your baseline standard that anyone who, uh, going forward, and this is part of the legacy of Scenes of the Night, anyone designing a Metroidvania going forward, that's the level that you want to hit. That's your target. To try to exceed this game, or at least match it. And... Sometimes they, uh, some are hits and some are misses, and some will try weird, different things out there. Yes, including, I mean, you you continue to see a lot of these sprites through future games. Mm -hmm. Um, include now, remind me which which game was it? Was it Aria of Sorrow? It, it, is mm, it's one of the ones? What's the one with the timer and the really big castles? Um, that's like a multiplayer. Oh, experience. oh, I know um, which one you're talking about. Oh, Har Harmony yeah. of Despair. Is it Harmony? Oh, Har yeah, oh Harmony of game. Dissonances, is it, right? Yeah, it's like... Dissonance is a GBA game. Despair oh, okay, Harmony of Despair. Game. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, yes, that is that exactly... <laughs> yeah, pretty fun and very visually similar, but uh, not the same genre. Oh, no, at no, all. no. It's, it's more akin to a beat-em-up at that point. And I have vivid memories of this because, okay, I have to share this story because it still pisses me off to this day. Um, that game comes out on Xbox Live. It supports like six to eight players. I actually get a full group. We are all playing different characters and running this game repeatedly. We're all aiming to 100% this 200 gamer score game. I'm playing Richter because I'm a badass and I love him. Uh, no. Uh, and everybody's running it and they all refuse to wait for me to get home from work on days because I'm working nights. Um, so they all farmed out like the speed boots. I don't have the speed boots. Mm. So I'm using the slide kick as Richter along with the follow up jump dive kick to keep pace with them as they're moving. And they keep playing it until they get the 10,000 kill achievement, all of them, even when I can't play. I am the only one of that group that does not have that <laughs> achievement, and it still pisses me off today. <laughs> it's the only one I'm missing. So I did play that once, and it's a weird experience because you're you're not playing like a whole game. You're playing like a single chapter that's just really, really big. And yeah, each each level is based on a castle from an, an entry throughout the series. Right. And 
I've got the one that we were playing was one that was I think well, I want to say it's from uh, Portrait of Ruin or Arya Sorrow, um, but in it they have the tower. It it looks like the it's just this big tower, and you can cross this bridge over and over and over again. Um, That's the Arya one, I believe. Yeah, they think it's Arya. When you get to the top, a you fight a face. boss. Partway through that boss fight, you the boss will stick its head out of this wall and and go into the onto the tower floor but it's so heavy that it breaks the floor and now you're falling and in the fight with this boss in the middle in mid air until you hit the ground which is amazing however they redid this age in um party distance i do not have this my my party members were all character all characters that were really fast mines didn't and i got lost part way through it so i went to a completely different path so they're fighting the boss and once you fight the boss it starts a clock you have so much time to beat this boss and over and over the rest so i'm trying to keep running up there and catch up by the time i catch up i'm on the bottom floor of all these floors falling and it takes me out in one go because i've got all, all of this crushing on top yeah. of me ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also comes to an interesting concept that no one's done yet uh, that I know of is a multiplayer Metroidvania. Yeah. And I mean, um, it, it's kind of what they tried, but again, it just ended up more as a beat em up. Yeah. Guacamelee has really Ooh, good. That's a good uh, two one. player. Right. Metro, but, but that's not like a bunch of people jumping around. No. It's like, no, two people. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's true co-op Metroidvania. Yes. Mm -hmm. There, there's a part in that game which I love because you get all these power ups, and at some point in the first metro in the first uh, game, you go over to the same guy who gives you a power up every other time, and he's like, "What do you think I'm gonna? I'm, I'm made of power ups. You get nothing. You got no reward. Get out of my house." I love it. And there's he even does the same cool super pose that that you get whenever you get one of these cool power ups, and he's just, "Yeah, you got nothing. Enjoy." <laughs> Um, yeah, Guacamelee is another one like that. Another one that's very influenced on it. It's a, uh, it's kind of a, a weirder one out there called My Robot Is Fight. I think is what it's called. Oh, oh, is it My Name Is Fight? No, I want to say it's My Name Is Fight. You play this weird instead of a, a traditional Metroidvania, it does it as um, a combination of a Metroidvania and a roguelike game. Huh. Which was just an interesting set of uh um that sounds very up my alley but yeah so this is sort of the the takeaway from this whole thing is that um, metroidvanias are here to stay but yeah. here's where you get your pinnacle here's the moment of what of where you want to get around other games in different genres will do stuff like that anyone who makes a soulsborne game there's a reason why we call it soulsborne games because that's your the other peak for it um, first person shooters. I remember back in the day when you would just instead of calling it first person shooters, you would call it a Doom clone. A Doom clone. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so the Symphony of Night is here to stay, and it's going to be all. It, it, and this is where you're you hit your pinnacle, your point for that. Art is amazing. It's got an in depth but not a complex storyline. You don't have to read thousands of pages of text to understand or try to look in the background. It's right in the foreground of what you're getting. It's got secrets and things that are hidden, and it really wants to push that you explore and discover, but you do it with a point. You're exploring to get um, things to let you explore even more of the castle. And if done right, they also have something like the, like the Upside Down Castle. They add more to its original game. And like 
And Castlevania is just known for their monster lore and being able to put in thousands of monsters that most of them have existed in mythology or history of some sort. And then they just sometimes make ones up for it. Like, I think there's a Wizard of Oz reference in in one of the monsters. Oh, yes. Yeah. We- well, I mean, there's there's a demon and then there's a devil and they're color swaps. But that's OK, because you know what? They also pull in mythology from literally everywhere. I mean, Egyptian, Greek, Roman, you name a creature and it's probably been in a Castlevania game. It isn't until I replayed the game like just about a couple of weeks ago that I bumped into a JoJo's Bizarre uh, Adventure reference that was buried in that game. Oh, God. Yeah, no. JoJo reaches far and wide. Well, that's the thing. This is still in this is a uh, remake, which means it was back in 97. They thought, yes, I need a JoJo reference right about now. The game was made in Japan. That's where JoJo came from. I'm sorry. It's (laughs) everywhere. Um. But yeah, they put that in there. Um, if if you're wondering which one it is, there's the stone mask from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is one of the items that you can do, you can put on. It doesn't affect Alucard very much because he's already a vampire. Yeah. Well, and he has to put blood on it for it to do anything. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's just a fan throwing it in. Yeah. Oh, you know, of course. Like, I really want this to be in here. So here we go. And then you've here got Capcom go. who's full of fans and they just literally made Lisa Lisa in their fucking, uh, what was it? Uh. Street Fighter Alpha, mm-hmm. I think is what it was. Mm. <laughs> it's like, there's just Lisa Lisa. That's what you are. Um, what is it? There's people who have figured out how to get even more percentage. Like, it's a 200% completion game, and I think you can get to, like, uh-huh. 212? Something like that? It's 200.4%, wow. yeah. I think, because they don't count the secret rooms. Because huh. I did that <laughs> on the 360 version. I, yeah, I, I have this memory of like going around like a tall room, trying to double jump into a space just so that I could get that like sweet little extra percentage point. <laughs> and if you want to talk about mechanical, that there's the I think it's called the walk armor, which is based upon it's the defense it gives is based upon how much of the of the map that you've actually explored. Yes, okay, which is two hundred point six percent. Nice. 200.6%. Yeah. So 0.3% per version of the castle is mm-hmm. secret rooms. So, yeah, like they add all these extra things into this. And this is a game in 97, and some games don't even hit this kind of hype now. Oh, no, 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 no. And they have significantly more budget, and they get nowhere near the level of quality that we got out of this game. Yeah. The quality of this game was so well done that it's. Um, it actually underperformed when it first came out. It was through word of mouth and um, fans of Castlevania is like, dude, you got to try this. That got its sales up to be a, a great thing. It's like the clout that I was talking about. Yeah, it's that clout. It's anybody who played Castlevania had played that game going into it. They would have known. I mean, a lot of that, again, still comes back to, you know, Super Nintendo, PC Engine 16. Um which PC is TurboGrafx-16, yeah. but the PC Engine was the Japanese version of it, so. Yeah, but I mean, but that's just kind of what that is, though, but, uh, yeah. Outside of that, um, any kind of last things that you want to say about Castlevania Symphony of Night? Personally, my last thing would be, if you want to try a Metroidvania game for the first time, this is a great entry. It is not difficult to start to get into, but it also has a lot of mechanical things that make that can give you a lot more of a hearty experience for it and you can pace yourself real it's pacing is amazing on that absolutely i i, I want to say that 
I feel like I notice that we watch these forms hit their peak at a moment where people have been like working in the genre for a while. So part of the reason that Castlevania 64 totally sucks is not anybody's fault. Everybody was scrambling trying to figure out what to do with 3D. They knew it was exciting. Everybody was really into it, but it took forever for people to reliably deliver on a 3D title. And so many games of that era were trash. And yet like, 2D platformers had been around for a while. And so people were figuring out how to make beautiful pixel art, you know, like maximize the music, maximize, like make it fun to play, do all these really complex things like in concert with one another. And so like the thing that seemed lame about it uh, in 1997 and like already retro about it is what makes it such a classic now is that like people who were at the top of their game who had mostly all worked on these kinds of games before were ready to like stretch themselves and do something really exciting and they pulled it off. And that's what we see with late gen uh, SNES like Chrono Trigger and Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VI um, or, or like the other games uh, you know, for like early PlayStation games that were still using some 2D stuff like you know, uh, like the early, uh, like wild arms, you know, you have, have these uh, that are like so fun in part because they're using things that they've learned to do over time instead of like just kind of figuring out the sexy new technology on the fly. Yeah, it's sort of a weird concept, but yeah, it's people want to get the latest and the newest thing. But if you can just take what you had before and refine it you can get a lot more mileage out of it absolutely they say you can't polish a turd but you totally can i mean (laughs) i mean if you there's there is a a golden range i think for all forms of video game artwork and presentation and i think that symphony of the night appropriately how do I phrase this the right way? Um, They pretty much nailed going to a hand-drawn style, but still staying pixel. So it was still familiar, but also new in terms of its look. Mm -hmm. And I think that ultimately is what helps it stand the test of time today. Mm. You can go back to that and it still looks gorgeous. Um, And you also, I think in most cases today, you find in any adventure game, you, you can, find elements that were popularized through games like symphony of the night and that's what helps give it the staying power and the collectability of the physical released copy or just the the joy that it brings to so many people Hmm. that's a great point about hand-drawn artwork is like just because like you know these were translated into pixel art unlike some of these like really early games they didn't start as pixel art, right? They started like was a, a true artist drawing by hand and then trans. You had a grid, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> Figuring out how to translate that. Yeah. You have a, a traditionally hand drawn art. Then you have that artist go to somebody to translate it into a pixel, into a pixel approximation. And then your conversion between the two becomes where it, yes. it becomes where your skill is relied on that. Like, totally. if you ever see the original artwork for Mario and Super Mario Brothers 1, they look nothing alike. No. Nope. But Those are different. Yes. <laughs> Symphony Al- Alucard from Symphony of Night. 
oh gorgeous and they and the translation's almost is almost one for one in this Absolutely. case and uh can i offer a little bit of hype um so dead cells return to castlevania is coming out apparently in just a few months um so yeah it's on my list I'm yeah getting it, that. it looks very cool i think it's it might, it's probably more dead cells than castlevania it's like kind of a an official castlevania skin but i mean mm -hmm. dead cells is already great and is already very indebted to castlevania so in, in a way it's like a perfect like kind of coming home for an already really good game yeah yeah when i when i saw that trailer my wife and i are sitting there watching the game awards and that trailer comes up and i'm like well i guess i'm buying dead cells now <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it was off my radar before and now it's about as high up there as it oh, can be you'd enjoy so... dead cells anyway honestly but just based on this one conversation it's uh yeah it's a blast <laughs> <laughs> yeah dead cells is super fun and hilarious then they also do some tongue-in-cheek i think yeah. i bumped into a, what is it gordon freeman's crowbar is in there that i could equip <laughs> really yeah uh, one latest That's version so like goofy i found that oh, it's so goofy me. and they're like well looks like me and my crowbar is going to town over here <laughs> don't tempt me i will i will mid-max the hell out of that thing mm. <laughs> There are many crowbars like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's always bad when you min-max it, but you go in the other direction. Yeah, I can do I because I min-max my stuff. Well, looks like I'm a glass hammer as long as I never get hit. <laughs> yeah, glass cannons are the best kind of cannons. One hit wonder. <laughs> but so satisfying if you pull it off. It super is though. <laughs> <laughs> there it's uh Ari of Sorrow actually is one of the few games that introduces to this series of Metroidvania's long range combat one of the mm. weapons that you can get is a nine millimeter pistol in that game and it's a joke weapon it's not as strong as all the other ones but you know what you've got it as an option yeah it's it's absolutely a joke weapon Amazing. it's just there to be like see it's a thing this is the feature this is this is present this has this, this yeah <laughs> use it we do range too yeah. i mean which is like what in what world would a bullet do nine damage but a sword or anything really an axe or a hammer would do like 400 in comparison it's like because mm. uh i can't uh, bless my my gun to be all holy apparently well that's the problem is you're blessing the gun and not the bullets <laughs> True. Tis but a flesh wound it's the problem in all media of mm. why didn't they just have a gun <laughs> yeah yes. yeah why didn't you just bring a whip to the gunfight i yeah, I, I I I don't care. I always want the huge battle axe to be more powerful for some reason. I do. Yeah. Well, because uh, look, it size apparently matters. Okay, it's harder to hold. Therefore, it hurts more. It requires <laughs> requires skill. Yeah, it's not a point and click. I mean, that's what a gun is. Is a point and click. It's got a point click interface. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the gut. Yeah. Guns are the original doom clone. Oh. Choke. All great. right. I guess that's enough for our seventh of the night. And I really like going through these retrospectives. I want to do more of these for other games coming up. Um, and that being said, thank everybody for coming in and listening to this podcast. This is gaming theater logging out. Bye everybody. Bye. Peace out. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. 
Our music is A Drinking Game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. If you want to send us some financial support to help with producing things for gaming theater, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaming theater presents. It helps us out. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.